You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. No, I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers behind the scenes. And this week we have another adventurer that's going to come through the jungle with us. Say hello, Brad. It's good to be back, fellas. Normally, normally we'd be back doing this in Chicago, but uh, COVID had other ideas. Yeah, Rambo can't squash COVID. Damn it. Damn it, Rambo. That was his job. His only job. The but... one, The one enemy he can't defeat. <laughs> it's COVID. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, would Rambo get the vaccine? I think so, because Rambo cares about saving lives. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's turn this into the right direction. After a random one last week, we are starting another huge action franchise, and it's Rambo. So, Matt, introduce. What did we watch? First Blood. No Rambo in the title for this one. First Blood from 1982. He was harassed for no apparent reason. He was arrested for no particular crime. Starting to dislike you. Luck. They thought they'd found an easy mark. They were wrong. Sylvester Stallone. This time he's fighting for his life. First Blood. Rated R. Starts Friday, October 22nd at theaters. Yeah, this. So I was talking to Brad before we started recording this. And I said, it's interesting because the trailer on this kind of makes this seem more like, oh, poor Rambo. He's stuck in this bad situation. These cops are mean and he's going to blow his way out of it. And in a way, that is kind of what the story is about. But it's so much deeper. I mean, this story gets dark. I do. I love the trailer has totally the grindhouse kind of vibe still like the lingering from the 70s. You know, when the when a new decade starts, it's always the last decade before always kind of bleeds in a little bit. And the trailer for this absolutely does feel like uh, one man has one job, <laughs> you know, like a very drive any kind of uh, trailer vibe. And yeah, you're right. This movie is dealing with way more than just that. And yeah, and the, on the surface, that is exactly what this movie's about. It's one guy kind of blowing his way out of this situation, but it is dealing a lot more with sort of like, what did these guys from Vietnam take home with them too? And it uh, this is the movie that kind of explores that. I would say the rest of the franchise, you know, even without having necessarily rewatched them yet before the, our reviews, the rest of the franchise kind of veers off in another direction from this. This is more of a drama a little, little bit. It is still an action movie, but it is exploring some deeper themes. Yes, great, Matt. Great take, Matt. I agree with that totally. This movie was based on a 1972 novel by David Morrill called First Blood, which I, I refer to as Rambo 1. Uh, you and like everyone else. <laughs> In the novel, though, Rambo dies at the end. Yeah, and, and I he's noticed not such a sympathetic it, character. Yeah, and I noticed it was in Kentucky too. In Kentucky, yeah, set in Kentucky. There, and, there is uh, an there is an ending uh, for this that's on the DVD where he, Rambo does die at the end. And could you imagine we wouldn't have a franchise to review if that were the case? There. 
That was where Stallone was using his clout. Yeah, see, like, in the book, does he get murdered or does he commit suicide? I didn't read the book. <laughs> never read the book. You're asking me to read a book, man. It ain't happening, so. Oh, well, I thought Brad did the research. I was hoping he'd know. Oh, because... well, I, I read, it went Wikipedia. I know in the book he dies at the end. I don't know how he dies, so. I don't know, though. Someone out there who actually reads books, uh, let us know. So, yeah, I know this book is based on the 1972 novel, so it basically takes place in 1972, um, released in 1982, and I was six years old, and I remember seeing this in the movie theater for some reason. Yeah, I'm surprised they took you to this at six years old. How much do you actually remember from this movie when you saw it in the theater? <sighs> Quite a bit. Really? So it stuck with you that much? Mm-hmm. As an adult, as you know, as a as a forty four year old man at this point, I'm thinking like this is not peaks alone yet, but man, we're approaching it. It's 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 coming soon. Yeah, I noticed this came out the same year as Rocky three, and looking at his hair, I was like, okay, that's Rocky three hair, so that makes sense. Uh, and then with uh, part two, our first blood Rambo, whatever part two, peaks alone, peaks alone, peaks alone family. Yeah, that was when he was in the Rocky four shape, and he's ridiculous. Yeah, I sort of, I have, it's funny, it's like I have in my head sort of like the look of Rambo is like the hair of three, the outfit of two, <laughs> and I, and I'm aware that this movie is like the, the drama, I guess, so sort of like the emotional weight. So it's like, it, I, I have sort of an amalgam of Rambo pictured in my head for this franchise or whatever, but uh, this one too, for me. So, Brad, you saw it at six. I didn't see this one until I was a teenager because in my house, uh, growing up, the second one was always on. That was the one we watched. I didn't go back and watch this first one until I, I think I got the box set in like 04, 05 or something like that. It's heavy. You just don't watch that for entertainment. You, you watch Rambo 2 for entertainment purposes because it is it is just cartoon violence and fun. But this one right, here, you yeah. just don't. But I like that movie, and I, I, you know, like I said, I kind of grew up with that one. That one was always around in the family, but, like, uh, so then going back into the first one, I was actually pretty surprised kind of how this one was, and I'm kind of glad, too, I waited until I was a teenager to see it because I don't think I would have liked it if I saw it, at, like, as a kid, like, when I saw it, too. Yeah, I, I mean, my history is more like we just didn't really watch the Rambo movies that much. We're more of a Predator, Terminator family. I don't really well, so know I, why. But, you know. I don't know why, though, because I remember these on television, or at least I remember the, the second and third on television when I was a teenager and stuff. I don't know why these movies never really came through our it never really came through our living room. We didn't rent them or anything like that. I guess just we, we just knew the legend. Um, and then that is what it is. But we were too busy watching Predator and stuff. Uh, I think we were just more into the space crap. You know, ironically, I never watched the cartoon show. Never seen it in my entire life. Never seen an episode of the cartoon show. Yeah, I've only seen the intro. To call, get me Rambo. From the canyons of skyscrapers to the canyons of remote mountain peaks, Liberty's champion is unstoppable. Rambo, helped by the mechanical genius known as Turbo of disguises named Cat, the honor-bound protector of the innocent, Rambo, the force of freedom. Yeah, I totally, I, this is funny because this is right in my wheelhouse. I 
you know, growing up, I really liked sort of the, I guess, like the animated shows based on franchises and, you know, the toy lines based on franchises and stuff. I was I was very much like a, a pop culture kid. So, like, I would have definitely been drawn to an animated show like this, especially since, like I said, two was always playing around in my household or whatever. So I, I would have uh, definitely been attracted to it, but it was just one of those things that I didn't even really know existed until later. And I did have a couple of the action figures, but I was just like, it's Rambo. You know, I never made the connection that there was like an animated show. And it, like I said, if I would have known, I, w- I definitely would have watched it, but uh, I just missed it. I think it just came a little too early for me, I'm a 90s baby, so I think I just missed it. And you're talking like action figures like versus Rambo versus, uh, you know, G.I. Joe versus Masters of the Universe characters like He-Man, Skeletor, Stinkor, Tila, Man-at-Arms. I think G.I. Joe and Rambo were just like something for some reason it just skipped over my brothers and I. We just weren't into them. I don't know if it was... You know, maybe we're looking for more of the fantasy and sci-fi action and all that stuff. I don't know. We just skipped right over these. Never had the toys, never saw the cartoon, nothing. So there's a lot of similarity here when we're talking about this. Uh, Just to get into the details on this before we let's see if Matt can guess the box office. So it was released October 22nd, 1982 at a budget of 15 million dollars. Okay, 15 million, Matt, 1982. The movies that were out around the exact same time were E.T., The Extraterrestrial. That that was a bomb. No one saw that one. Um, an Officer, No Laughs, Nothing. Damn you guys. <laughs> <laughs> an Officer and a Gentleman. Kind of, you know, they're similar right there. Military. No, I mean, definitely two different types of military movies. Some but... serious acting chops going there and serious directorial chops, too. Jesus. Like... Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen I've only seen that movie probably once. Um, but uh, we also had Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Which was a bomb. <laughs> but I, that was a good movie. Yeah, if oh, it wasn't called movie. Halloween, it, if it was just called Season of the Witch, it would be, you know, it would have been probably a pretty big, small film. But, oh, well, everyone's like, where's Michael Myers? <laughs> I want the same thing over and over. Um, Amityville 2, The Possession. We had Fast Times at Richmond High, Rocky Three, and Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. So who in the hell puts Schwarzenegger? Who the, who the hell puts Stallone up against Stallone in the box office? Yeah, he came out the month before I think Rocky Three, so it was like back to back Stallone months. So I mean, I guess it wasn't as bad. Uh, if it would have been released in the exact same month, that'd have been terrible. But I think they did basically the same thing for Rocky Four and Rambo Two. So. So what do you got, Matt? What's the box office? My guess. Now, one of just full disclosure, I did look stuff up before this, but what I had seen was that this was one of the movies that one of the American movies that sold the most tickets in China. Now, however, that doesn't, you know, affect the domestic box office here. So I have that information going into it before I answer this question, but I don't know at all what the domestic box office would be. So my guess, shot in the dark guess, would probably be $55 million. Ooh, no, you undershot this one. Brad, you want to take a guess if you don't know? I believe it's $156 million. No, well, I've got from Wikipedia $125.2 million. Now, one fifty six, I guess, could be worldwide. 
That could be including China. Yeah. Which, you know, hey, this did really. I, you know what fascinated me? It's the first Hollywood blockbuster to be released in China. And I think we all three read that, but it held the record until 2018. That's so surprising. The Transformers, like, the Transformers, like, uh, Age of Extinction, unseat that movie? I actually don't know. I couldn't, uh, I didn't look up what movie actually passed. I'm just surprised it lasted that long. That's incredible. I really hope it was Transformers Age of Extinction because my wife just hates that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't even remember what's in the film. Uh, basically Transformers two through five just is all the same to me in my head, except one of them had dinosaur robots in it. And I'm like, okay, those, those are cool. I don't even know which film it was Four. that it was indeed age of extinction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that would make sense. Extensions, you know, extinctions in the title. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what unseated it or whatever, but uh, I think it's it's also, like, worth noting, it's not necessarily the most money made for an American movie. It's most tickets sold, which I just think is, like, you know, so adjusted for inflation slash whatever. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Like, it doesn't matter if it made the most money or not, but the, the, a lot of people went and saw it regardless of ticket price. So that's, I think that's pretty impressive. And yeah, the fact that it lasted until 2018, uh, when they, when they all came back out to see, uh, Rambo last blood, of course. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay. So here's some more fun pre-production news here. So this script, a lot of people had wanted to make it, it passed through a lot of hands, a lot of companies. And I find this story fascinating. So in 1972, Lawrence Truman, at Columbia Pictures bought the film rights to First Blood for $175,000. They put together a story. They didn't have a full script, but they you know, had a lot of the, the story components. The original story was dropped. And then John Cayley purchased the rights at Warner Brothers. And they, they purchased it for $125,000. So I thought it was funny that they lost $50,000, not including all the time spent. So Columbia Pictures took a hit on this. But they just... I guess after the original script did not work out, in their opinion, they just they just cut ties with it and got whatever money they could. So Warner Brothers comes in, buys this, and they put together a story. And I think this is the one where possibly, I don't know, Rambo commits suicide and they didn't want it. Anyway, it didn't go very well. Then producer Carter DeHaven purchased Sackhelm and Kozal's script from Warner Brothers for $375,000 in 1974. However, the project stalled again after the distributor Filmways was acquired by Orion Pictures. Then, Carloco Pictures purchased the film rights from Warner Brothers for $375,000 and the script for $125,000. So they spent a total of $500,000 and eventually the script was finished after several rewrites and distributed by Orion Pictures in 1982. Now, the only reason this actually hit the theaters is because they got Stallone to sign on. But then Stallone had to do his uh, rights and he did an estimated seven revisions to the script. And finally, the movie gets out in October of 1982. And that's an incredible journey on the film rights and the script. I just thought that was fascinating. You know, I think, uh, and it, I think it's evident because of him being a writer on all of them. I think Stallone kind of coming in and finishing the script was important, especially too at this time. He was still a pretty, you know, really solid screenwriter. I think to an extent he still kind of is because the Creed movies are really good as well. Um, but like coming off of 
the Rocky movie, at least the first one. He's a good screenwriter. And I think him writing kind of for himself in this lead role, it, it just feels genuine. And I think having him as a writer was important. And I'm really also glad that he kind of stuck around through the rest of the series as well, because he knew this, he knew this character. So I think it was beneficial to have him come in and do rewrites. Did he need to do seven of them? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I didn't read it every draft of the script or whatever, but I think it was important that he was on board as a writer. Yeah. I never got if the revisions were actually before they started shooting or, you know, while they started shooting, I do know that he hated the suicide at the end of the movie, he didn't think Rambo would give up. And I'm going to be honest, I think his eyes sold dollar signs with the franchise potential. Yeah, Steve, I got to agree there. I think he saw potential for sequels. And I think he saw the point in the book where Rambo like murders a bunch of like uh, National Guardsmen and like and and first first responders like you know, law enforcement officers. And they're just like, well, we're going to dial that back, but we're going to bring it on big time in a sequel. Yeah, I did find it fascinating that he pretty much got rid of all the death in the first one. Yeah, and, and probably because he's just like, well, I want people to like Rambo. And even if he was doing the right thing, when you're killing cops and people in the National Guard, I just don't think it looks good for your hero. But what really looks good back in 1982 and 1986, 1985 is killing communists. Yes, communists or... Actually, anyone with brown skin, because Canon just made an entire legendary status off that uh, with the Death Wish movies. So it, it's just it's what, you know, it was Reagan's America, baby. Even though I don't really. Here's the thing. I don't get like the sort of a Reagan-esque Americana uh, that like on the surface it would be because obviously he's blowing away Russians and stuff like that in, in some of these sequels or whatever. But there is so much of sort of questioning America as well that I just it doesn't because so much of in, in my film viewing experience, so much of like the Reagan era Americana is like America can do no wrong. America's the greatest ever. You know, that seems to be like the, the rest of the 80s sort of canon. That was something movies. I was thinking about watching Rambo, too, where it's like it's a big revenge movie in a lot of ways. It's revenge against a lot of different factions. One of those factions is kind of the uh, kind of the swamp, you know, the deep state that keeps us in these wars for so long. And the other faction is like the communists, but it's like, man, there's a lot of revenge to go around. Yeah, I, I think this franchise, too, with I mean, when we get further on in these movies is this franchise has kind of a couple different faces that it wears. Uh, the first one's definitely wearing its own here with, you know, the down, the vietnam vet who's not getting any love and then he's being abused by cops just because he's a drifter you know you have that and then the second one is just a you know cartoon revenge in a way but it also has some deeper things with the deep state and then the well the third's kind of just <laughs> the, the third just becomes a true cartoon from what i remember but i haven't seen it in a really really long time and i thought i had never seen it but when i started to watch it i was like uh yeah i have seen this but anyway uh yeah i just find this franchise uh kind of fascinating because it's just it seems like it changes almost every film what and it's so funny because they're so anchored and spearheaded by stallone you know he yeah. eventually even goes yeah. on to be directing the rest the end of the franchise or whatever so you'd think they would think they would have kind of a through message or whatever but you you guys are right it definitely alternates each movie 
And I was thinking big time, there's a big difference in the message between Rambo, the first blood and first blood part two Rambo. Yeah. So uh, here's a little bit more. Uh, so the film, so you had all the script problems, but then the film had several delays while filming in Canada from heavy snowfall in January of 82 producer, Ed Carlin suffering a heart attack, Stallone doing his own stunts and hurting his back and breaking ribs because you know, that jump that he does off the cliff into the tree. Was that fucking, was it really him? You gotta be shitting me. That's him. That's how he broke his ribs and delayed the shooting. I who would let your star do that? That's well, I was going to ask that question later on. Like, who the hell let somebody like climb up halfway up a mountain and jump off the mountain and like jump off a helicopter? What what I got from it was he was so big at this point that you couldn't tell him what to do. Yeah, I mean, three Rocky movies later and they're all box office gold. Like, yeah, you don't tell Stallone what to do. <laughs> like, Stallone, you don't jump off the side of a mountain. You don't jump out of a helicopter and like take a hundred foot tumble into some like thing that's going to maybe shield your fall or maybe not. We don't know. Yeah, I think the only reason he stopped doing it, like he didn't do all of his he did all of his own stunts until that point, And then he finally stopped because he knew that, like, if he delayed the movie anymore, that could cost him dollars. So his time was worth too much money at that point. Yeah. And he had other movies to shoot. So, I mean, he was on fire at this point in the 80s. And here's the funniest delay, in my opinion, is delays because the gun shipments from the United States to Canada were delayed because they had stronger gun right laws. So they had to pay extra money. Uh, I don't know if it's fine so much, but I'm sure they had to grease some palms to get all these weapons across the border. That's hilarious to me. Again, when you're Stallone, though, you make that shit happen. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure Orion really also saw that this, like, Orion wasn't the Orion that we know from, like, the RoboCop. They were still looking to really solidify themselves amongst the distributors, and this was this is one of the franchises that did it. Uh, and then, of course, later on was, you know, the first Chucky and RoboCop and, you know, Orion's story kind of does, you know, and then they fall off in the 90s. But I mean, this movie kind of put them on the map, really put them on the map. They had a few other hits before this, but this is it. Well, just like the titles of the movies change so crazily, the the owners of this franchise just like these movies just get tossed around. I know the second when we get into the second one, that one's fascinating. Yeah, this, like the, the director like didn't wasn't it written by James Cameron? The second oh, one, yeah. Well, sorta. So I got a good quote on that, but we'll save that for the second one. Uh, and then because that's really good. Uh, <laughs> and then the first cut of the film was three and a half hours long, according to Sylvester Stallone. It was so bad that it made himself and his agent sick. Stallone wanted to buy the movie and destroy it, thinking it would be a career killer. After heavy re-editing, which of course Stallone was involved in, the film was cut down to 93 minutes. This version was ultimately released in the theaters. The ending used in the finished film was shot in March of 82 after the original one was deemed unsatisfactory to Stallone. It is a great flowing 93 minutes though, man. It moves. That that's another thing I give Stallone's credit for is he did the same thing with Cobra. The guy knows how to edit to make money. Yeah, you want a 93 minute movie, you want butts and seats, you want the turnover to be faster and everything like that. And like pacing wise, this movie just it moves. I mean, the first 
20, 30 minutes or whatever, when it's kind of like within the police station and dealing with the sheriff and stuff like that, it's kind of like a bummer to watch. But in a normal movie, that would be, you would check your timer and you'd be like, we've only watched like five minutes of this thing, but we're already a half hour in. We're already moving. You know, like this movie's got a, a really natural pace to it. It does. I mean, it, it's kind of got, it's nicely sectioned off. You get the beginning or the introduction of um, Rambo and what happens to him. Then we have a bunch of, you know, the chase. Yeah, he goes woods. down to his friends. He goes down to his friend's place, Delmar. Oh, I know, we didn't, no. we didn't have email or like, you know, stuff like that at the time. So he just walks down there and Delmar's don't, place. Don't, don't like, get into that yet, Brad. We, okay. we said that because uh, I know exactly. Um, sectioned off here, trying to get this uh, directed. This is funny. I think you guys might find it kind of interesting this director directed fun and dick with jane that's fine but he also directed weekend at bernie's yes ted Cochief. um just just a workman you know just a journeyman director just jumping through genres and doing whatever he can get his hands on and made one of the greatest films of all time weekend at bernie's <laughs> how long brad how long has it been since you've seen weekend at bernie's I've seen it before. I don't remember the last time I saw it. Was if I told it, you the ni- same guy did Was Rambo it 1988? <laughs> uh, I have no idea. I, 89. 89. If I told you that this guy did Rambo and Weekend at Birdies, would you believe me? I believe a lot of things these days. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't just disbelieve you right away. Just like hell. Like, you know, Shane Black wrote, you know, wrote Iron Man three and wrote a bunch of other movies and wrote all these, uh, lethal weapon movies and was also in predator. Yeah. But I mean, at least Shane black kind of has his own. Well, he has his Shane black isms and everything. I feel like I can tell a Shane black film. I just can't believe this director went from Rambo somehow to weekend at Bernie's, but Hey, you know, he's got, he's a, uh, he can do anything apparently. Yeah, and he did a lot of TV as well. So it's just just one of those one of those guys that just works, you know. And I think for when you're doing sort of a Stallone uh, franchise movie, I know they didn't necessarily know that at first, but I think you know the directing kind of comes second. It's like we we have a we have a template, I guess, for a Stallone action movie. So it was like okay, Stallone was probably calling a lot of the shots on this set. So I'm not saying. It's like you're a basketball coach and you're coaching a star and you say, we just got to get guys around the star to like, just let him do his thing. That's what I think is exactly what's happening here. Pass Rambo the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's get into the VHS here. Matt, what's the cover look like? Uh, I don't know. You said you had it in front of you. (laughs) All right. I thought maybe you'd describe it. Let's redo that. All right. Let's look into the cover here. The front here. Uh, I've got the 1983 one, so the old one. It's got Stallone, uh, you know, all caps right there at the top in black. And then right below it is First Blood all in caps, and it's in red. And then we have actually a drawing of Rambo, which I think is pretty cool. And the bottom portion here is like the uh, police cars. And I, yeah, it looks like police cars and everything. Their lights in the background's black. That's kind of interesting. I don't, you don't see many covers like this. And then we have a little tagline here. This time he's fighting for his life. I don't get that because in Vietnam he'd be fighting for his life too. Right? Yeah, I got some I got some thoughts on that. We'll talk about it later. I don't like I, I get it. It sounds cool, but when you think about it, I'm like, well, I mean, 
Didn't he fight for his life in both? I think there was a lot of ways everything this could have been dis- this could have been diffused on many different fronts easily. Okay, good. Yeah, because there's yeah there's some things I got to say about how Rambo acts in some parts, but um. So the back here, we turn around, uh, we see Rambo in a little production still where he's on the bike running away from the cops. And then the other production still is where the uh, cops got the, the nightstick around his neck. Uh, and I think this is right before he gets pushed into the shower, maybe. Can't remember. Um, and anyway. It's actually after the shower scene, but yeah. Is it after to, the shower? They're trying to okay. like introduce a razor towards him. And like David Caruso, the only voice of reason in this movie, is like basically saying like, dude, this guy's got ptsd like lay the fuck off yeah no he's flipping out at that point that it's a it's a fucked up good scene uh that starts us all off but let's look at the description here giving his toughest performance since rocky sylvester stallone stars as a larger than life super warrior in this gutsy action thriller filmed in the wilds of western canada he plays an ex-green beret a peacetime misfit haunted by memories of vietnam Falling foul of an overzealous small-town sheriff, all hell is let loose as he goes on the run. In the life or skills to stay alive and outwit his pursuers, the sheriff, his posse, and more than 200 National Guards hunt him down. Okay. The the description I got from my... uh, It wasn't Netflix, but uh, it wasn't... Actually, when I was searching for this movie on Netflix, I found all these great movies from like 2014, 2017 that I never heard of. But we'll talk about that some other time. But my description of this movie from uh, Amazon was a soft-spoken Vietnam veteran drifts into a small town looking for no trouble, but finds it in the form of a psychotic local sheriff who finds pleasure in hating him for no reason. Oh, yeah. So these are fast descriptions. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that synopsis. Uh, Which part of it? wasn't just the sheriff. It was the sheriff's department that hated him for no reason. Yeah, I feel like there's uh, way too many people in this sheriff's department that uh, hate the Vietnam vets. Like, I don't really get it, but uh, except one, um, which kind of disappears halfway through the film, I guess. Doesn't he get shot and then he's just gone? Actually, no, I don't think he does get shot. He just disappears. I think he just kind of disappears. It's like, we have no use for you anymore, so... We're not listening to reason. It's about straight revenge now. All right. Um, before we pop this tape in, we want to remind you to go to iTunes and rate and review us. Those five stars mean a lot. Leave something. I don't know if the competition is over yet when this uh, episode comes out. But even if it is, leave a five star review or subscribe to us on YouTube. It means a lot. I gave you guys 4.5 stars. I didn't even know you could give 4.5. The half star is for me. It's just, it'd be a better podcast if uh, Matt would uh, <laughs> stop talking and talking this bullshit all the time. <laughs> Matt, I told you you're the looks. You got to sit <laughs> there right. and look pretty. Yep. That's all I'm good for. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So let's pop this tape in. No trailers. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, it's early 80s. I didn't expect them. I think it's interesting that both these, you know, this was Orion and second one was Carloco and TriStar. But uh, both of these came out with um, under HBO video, which. Oh, they did. Yeah, both of these first two did. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, HBO must have just really cornered that uh, early video market. Good for them. 
Yeah, I wonder when the HBO one came out. Was it in like in the late eighties or something? No, the nineteen eighty three one I think is HBO Video. Oh, because the one I've got is got. It's got like the little, it looks like a light tower or something. I don't know what the huh. hell that is. Weird. Well, there was one from the early 80s that is HBO video, and then the second one is as well. So crazy. Just, again, just being tossed around these movies, just from company to company to company. Uh, what, a t- what a tough time getting these released. Yeah, I'm surprised someone didn't capitalize and just take all the rights to this on their own. But when we get to the second one, we'll also talk about the video game rights. It's kind of crazy, too. Uh, but uh, it's feature presentation time. OK, so we've got John Rambo is looking for his old comrade, only to find out he died the year before from cancer due to Agent Orange. Yikes. Yeah, and so at that point, he's distraught. I mean, this is like a beautiful they're in Washington, I believe. Right. So, yeah, Seattle. And I think he's headed towards Portland. Up around there. So in Nebraska, we call that Washington. Hey, that's right. Well, in Missouri, there's an R after every W. So, yeah, he's heading up there. Beautiful country. Um, yeah, just like he's very distraught, though. He's walking down the highway, not bothering anybody. Well, did you notice him like crumble up the Polaroid or the picture that he had in like, I don't know if he threw it in a fire or a trash can after he finds out his friend's dead. I think that says a lot. Because uh, I'm pretty sure if I found out that my friend died, I wouldn't immediately crumble up the photo and throw it away. Uh, I would want to keep memories, but it's almost like he's like everything in his past is just destroyed. So it doesn't matter anymore. I think it's really interesting that they chose to kind of start the movie with this, you know, like going to find a friend and he's died or whatever. And him sort of you know, walking off after hearing that to Hope Washington, you know, like, I just think like there's, there was obviously a choice being made here uh, early on to start this way. I think it's kind of a little bit in your face and, but not in a way where it's too heavy handed. I think it's smart filmically, but I, it was kind of a choice to start this way. Rambo enters the small town of Hope Washington and is questioned by the town sheriff, Will Tesley. Is that his name? Teasel? I think his Teasel? name is Teasel. Is it Teasel? Who considers Rambo an unwanted drifter. The sheriff tells Rambo the next diner is 30 miles away in Portland and drives him outside of the town to walk the rest of the way. When Rambo walks back to town, he is arrested on charges of vagrancy, resisting arrest, and possessing a concealed knife. What a dick move. Yeah, the thing about this Brandon Dennehy, Brandon, <clears throat> excuse me, the Brian Dennehy character that struck out to me was... Um, he just comes off as an insufferable small town ass from the beginning. Just a lot of Nebraska nice in his demeanor. Well, what amazed me is he's costing his town money. If he'd have brought Rambo to the diner, the diner could have made some money. But that's change. And these people can't do change. Everything's got to be the same all the time. The town's got to remain the same all the time. Anything different is bad. <laughs> he even says so. He's like, I am paid to keep this town the same. Yeah, and you can, he is just one of those people that is uh, toxically not moving any, you know, like not moving forward in any way whatsoever. This also kind of makes Rambo somewhat a minority. You know, and Rambo wouldn't have got hassled so much, too, if he had introduced himself as, I'm John J. Rambo, Green Beret and Medal of Honor recipient. That's true. He shouldn't have to. This sheriff's 
dick. You know, <laughs> you shouldn't have to do that. Also this, true. <laughs> this it's on the sheriff here. Uh, I just think uh, I mean truly one of one of the great '80s villains for sure. This sheriff. But also, Rambo is looking for a conflict a little bit because uh, he, he just immediately turns around, and starts walking back to the the town. He could have waited five minutes and then and then just walked. Uh, he he definitely wanted some conflict in this. Now the sheriff, when he arrests him and does all this shit, I think is re- ridiculous when he walks him back and he's like showing his knife off. Now you need to arrest him for these three things. And, and you know what gets me about the sheriff too. The sheriff is clearly intelligent. He's not an idiot. He's just being a dick and he doesn't want change at all. And he thinks these drifters will all bring a negative, I don't know, like a negative aura around the town. One will attract more and then I'll attack drugs and prostitutes and stuff. Yeah, he's very, he's got a little paranoia in him. A definite fear of the other, you know, and whatever that other is. Um, But yeah, and he's just... He's the worst kind of this kind of character because he is, like you said, smart, well-spoken. He's charming. He's, you know, nice, in air quotes, nice about some of the things he's saying. Uh, so he's kind of the worst person that thinks this way you would want to run into. And I'm, I'm speaking of the sheriff, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It makes Rambo a little bit of the minority in a way because he's the outsider. Another, yeah. I really wonder how many people, maybe they didn't like the Vietnam War. Maybe they just kind of like scoffed that all these Vietnam veterans were all coming back at once. But I wonder how many people in small towns would treat a Vietnam vet like shit back in the day. I mean, I wasn't alive then, but from what I hear, yeah. yeah I, can't, I, I can't tell you. I can't tell uh, you. So. From what I hear, yeah, though, I hear that uh, people were pretty mean to these people coming back. Needlessly so. I think there was a lot of, uh, like, well, we won World War II, and you pussies couldn't win in Vietnam, so. See, it says, says like, the uh, probably somebody who didn't fight in World War II that's been sitting on their couch for the last 20 years, you know? Um, that's who I imagine is talking shit, you know? <laughs> I imagine Brian Dennehy, well, Brian Dennehy's character and even the other deputies, none of them, you know, they all went to police academy and they just became, or, I don't know, sheriff academy, whatever that is. And then, you know, are looking down upon these wartime vets, you know, these Vietnam vets. And then maybe, all right, Brad, where you've got the the vets of the vets, the grandpa vets, like giving them shit for losing the war. And they're all kind of just well, like the war that like the war that they, they we wouldn't commit to. Like we weren't we weren't ready really to commit to like 450,000 casualties to like that to that uh, that area. Like that's what it took to beat Germany and Japan. Like. We weren't going all the way. We were kind of like fighting the war with one hand tied behind our back. Yeah, the logic to blame the people that went over there as opposed to the the system that sent them there. Yeah, and the people that went over there basically won every battle that they were in. Again, it's like they didn't, you know, they didn't choose to come, you know, to end it when it did come home when they did. You know, they were just there doing the thing they were drafted for or signed up for or whatever. And like the, to blame that I just, my brain still can't wrap around it. Like to blame them and to, you know, be like, like you were saying, like the world war two, uh, well, we won that. How come you guys couldn't win? You know, like it's, it's, they did all they could and they made it back. Like you should be like, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just too logical, but I can't, I cannot fathom why they would blame the people, you know, and not the system that well, made they, it. I think the people, I think the soldiers kind of got thrown under the bus after the end of that war. I don't know how, why people did that. It's uh, it doesn't, I mean, people never fail, fail to amaze me with that. They're stuff, the easiest but... ones to throw under the bus. So that's who got thrown under the bus. It's, it's easy. It's easy to point the finger at the soldiers because, you know, it's it's hard to come up with an entire argument to blame the system because it's difficult. It is easy to say, like, you idiots, you went and fought a war that we should have never fought. Like, and you're dumb, you know, and stuff like that. People say the dumbest things, but without critical thinking. But anyway, uh, while being booked for charges, Rambo is tortured and abused by the sadistic chief deputy Art Galt. Yes, and then someone needs to ask Galt where he was at on January 6th of 2021. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he's dead at this point, but... It, I'm assuming his son was there. <laughs> his character would have been there, I, I promise you. While the sheriffs try to dry shave Rambo with a straight razor that triggers Rambo's flashbacks of torture he endured while a POW in Vietnam, he overwhelms the sheriffs and escapes by stealing a motorcycle and fleeing into the woods. Did you notice in the background there was a homage to the godfather like in the theater so this movie is set in 1972 yeah oh i did not catch that i noticed that last time i watched it yeah i i just thought it was insane that the way that they tortured him you know like hitting him with the uh hose it looked like you know yeah, like a fireman like a situation hose. where if you had brought in like a psychologist or something this could have been all de-escalated oh uh, we won't even do that nowadays so fuck that 1982 especially in <laughs> chicago yeah, <laughs> everyone can point the finger when it comes to police and violence and and gun violence. Just point the finger at Chicago. <laughs> uh, luckily, I don't live there. I would never live there. It's an awful place. Don't ever go there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the straight razor I thought was insane. Like he's just like, oh, he's tough. Don't worry. He can take it. And it's like, N- what? You're going to cut the shit out of his face. You're supposed to be cleaning him up, not cutting him up. Even David Caruso is like just the only fucking voice of reason the whole day. He's like, this dude's like crazy. Like, don't do this. Damn, this boy's hard to get a hold of. (laughs) That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just shave him. Dry. All right. How blind are you? Can't you see this guy's crazy? Can't you see? I don't give a shit. Yeah, I can see that. That's better. See that. I'm just going to shave your partner. Take it easy. Take this, Mitch. Don't move. I don't want you to catch your own throat. Yeah, it makes sense that he goes straight into the woods. And then we've got Teasel organizes a search party and chases after Rambo with automatic weapons, dogs, and a helicopter. Galt gets the helicopter, discovers Rambo, and starts firing while Rambo is climbing down a mountain. Rambo jumps off the mountain into trees and cuts his right arm. Rambo then takes a rock and throws it at the helicopter with his left arm, cracking the windshield and causing the pilot to lose control briefly. This throws Galt out of the helicopter, who took off his safety straps, and he dies hitting the rocks below. Well, you're a dumbass. Complete psychopath. Wear your seatbelt, kids. No great loss there, I say. World's a better place without him. <laughs> now, what I picked up during all this that, you know, Teasel and Galt were really good friends. Uh, I did not pick that up at the beginning. You didn't really need it. You only needed it now. And you knew as soon as he finds out that he's dead, it's like, oh, this is going to get bad. 
then it becomes a revenge thing for Teasel, who does not let up no matter what. Like anytime, even when uh, Richard Krenna gets involved and stuff like that, he's like, nope, we're going to get him. We're going to send everybody we can. Like just stubborn, stubbornness. Old man stubbornness is the goddamn worst. <laughs> well, town has got that problem. Yeah, then after Galt dies, they go after, they go get Orville the dog handler, who is just a complete psychopath in his own right. He's like, we're going to get those dogs. We're going to get Rambo. And he eventually gets shot by Rambo. Did he get shot by Rambo? I thought it, I, I was, oh, I can't remember. He hit a booby trap or something, but then like the sheriff won't even call for medical evacuation. He's like, fuck, we're just keep carry on. Just put a tourniquet on it. Like that's a serious incompetence right there. If you're the sheriff, like, oh, when he gets into this thinking? like guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. Teasel locates Galt's dead body and vows revenge. Rambo tries to tell him. It was an accident, but he doesn't listen. The sheriffs begin to pursue Rambo again. They find out he's a former Green Beret with a Medal of Honor, but the deputies ignore the warning. Actually, I, when I was writing this right here, it's not so much the deputies, it's the sheriff that ignores the warning. And one by one get taken out, taken out non-lethally by Rambo. Overpowering Teasel and holding a knife to his throat, Rambo tells him that he could have killed them all, and he intends to give them a war they won't believe. Oh, give him a war he won't believe if Teasel does not let it all go. And I think that was uh, some major foreshadowing for Rambo 2, where it's like he can actually take the gloves off and like do what he wants to do there. Yeah, I mean, plus Stallone's really good at giving these lines where everything gets dramatic and then goes silent, and he talks like really firm to the bad guy. He does the same thing in the second one. Again, like I just, I, I'm on like... I'm on Rambo's side here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why. Well, I do know, but it's like this old man's stubbornness. It's like these people just won't let up on him. He does all this shit to him, you know, gets the booby traps. The the dog wrangler owner, whatever goes down. The dogs go down. All the sheriffs and deputies slowly go down. Well, he takes the sheriff and has the knife to his throat. And then after all that, Brian Dennehy's character, Teasel, is still stubborn enough to think he can still get him. And he knows this dude is trained to kill. That is his, like, his brain has been rewired. He's a freak of nature, and he's still stubborn enough to come come after him. But that's when we introduce his colonel. Yeah, there's a little downtime between that where they do this news report where it's like, John Rambo is fleeing and he's wounded and we're going to get him soon. It's like, I took the note, like, Today's, we'd think that as like 1982 version of fake news. Well, yeah, and doesn't the, even the media, and this is kind of funny now, you know, reflecting to today, like, I think there's two reports. It's just like one where John Rambo is on the run, and then the other one is an armed, dangerous war veteran is loose, you know, like in Seattle. And it's just like, it paints two different pictures. And I'm like, you know, they didn't know back then that we have MSNBC and Fox News, but I think it's kind of funny that two of them paint a different story, no, not knowing the story at all. <laughs> Which says it all, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just beautiful in how fucked up it is. <laughs> and yeah, telling, very telling of where we were headed. Very, yeah, very prescient. Okay, so that's when we get introduced to, you know, the state police are coming, the National Guard's coming. And uh, Rambo's old uh, commander is coming. So state police, the National Guard and his former commanding officer, Colonel Sam Tartman, are brought in to help bring down John Rambo. 
Now, I like Tartman in this one. Uh, things make sense. He's kind of like acting on his own. He comes other than how the hell does he get here this fast? I know this is movie logic, but come on. Yeah, you don't know. It's like I just like how he and his entrance is like God didn't make Rambo. I made him. I'm a possessed God in heaven to make a man like Rambo. God didn't make Rambo. I made him. Who the hell are you? Sam Trotman. Colonel Samuel Trotman. Look, we're a little busy this morning, Colonel. What can I do for you? I've come to get my boy. Your boy? I recruited him. I trained him. I commanded him in Vietnam for three years. I'd say that makes him mine. I wonder why the Pentagon would send a full bird colonel down here to handle this. The Army thought I might be able to help. <laughs> well, I don't know in what way. Rambo's a civilian now. He's my problem. I don't think you understand. I didn't come here to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. Well, we all appreciate your concern, Colonel. And we'll try to be extra careful. I'm just amazed that he allowed any of your posse to live. Is that right? Strictly speaking, he slipped up. You're lucky to be breathing. That's just great. Colonel, you came out here to find out why one of your machines blew a gasket. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. With a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things and to make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. Win by attrition. Well, Rambo was the best. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that many, don't forget one thing. What? A good supply of body bags. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I do. I mean, he's got some good lines in this, uh, and I think he does a good job. I mean, R- Richard kind of through the entire trilogy is a one-liner machine. Yeah. <laughs> he has all the one-liners. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, he's the only guy that has more one-liners than Rambo. Yes. He's like, I didn't come here to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. Yeah. like, And then right before he goes into hunting, he goes, well, you're telling me one man's got a shot against all these state police, 200-something National Guardsmen. And he goes, well, I can tell you one thing. You better bring a lot of body bags. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> this is when the movie starts to turn to me. It goes from a dramatic war veteran stuck in a bad situation or that character that you know like is misunderstood and then slowly the and they do a good job of this it slowly turns the knob to the right where you're like okay we're becoming an action film we're becoming an action yeah we're an action film uh i i just thought that was clever how they did that uh very slow burn into that and i like it yeah and then i mean they also then cap it off with a pretty dramatic ending then as well. You're going between there. They're like, I, I made a note here to the National Guard radio operators, like looking at a Playboy, which is basically the equivalent of like today's equivalent of like like surfing for porn on your smartphone. They're like, get off, get away from that magazine, like get on your goddamn radio, son. Well, you know what, new, you know what boobies will do to you, right? They'll make you a bad person. And then remember, then Troutman calls Rambo, like on yeah. the radio, and like Rambo would know better than to, than to break radio silence. So they could like get his location, but he still breaks it anyway. Yeah, and I, I guess they, they were trying to paint the picture that he was so shocked that, you know, Trotman was talking to him. But then he did get his line in where he's just like, 
I ain't, I ain't turning myself in. They drew first blood. And I'm like, oh, movie title drop. Another question I had, though, between here and the end is like, there's like this big manhunt going on in all these woods, but some kind of, somehow some hunting party with a little kid crosses paths with Rambo when they're doing the police search there. And if Rambo had just killed that little kid, he'd have gotten away. And if Rambo just would have not walked across that bridge into the town, would have waited a few minutes, he probably wouldn't have this manhunt either. Yeah, we'll go back <laughs> even further than that. Man. <laughs> then the fact that he hijacks the National Guard truck and blows up the entrance of the mine, oh. and no one thought he was going to find an exit. He takes a M60 light Love machine it. gun, which is basically a crew-served weapon, which takes three people, but, you know, normally... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I got the notes. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. You'll, you'll love this. I'll give you all the chance. The National Guard corner Rambo in an abandoned mine and against orders use a rocket launcher to destroy the entrance. The authorities think Rambo is dead, but while they search for his body, Rambo finds a way out of the mine and captures a supply truck carrying an M60 machine gun and ammunition headed back to the town. Go, Brad, break it down. <laughs> that's a crew served weapon. I mean, that's like a, that's a weapon that like you got to be like a stud Navy SEAL dude to like handle that weapon as a one person operation. But if it's a Rambo and you're injured, then I guess you can easily do it also. You know um, what I always think is like when you're carrying around that gun, you know, you know, with one arm and then holding all the bullets and everything. How much does that ammunition weigh? A lot. Takes three people. Takes three normal people to carry all that ammunition and the all that uh, metal around. Yeah, no, because like when you're watching, uh, let's say, Saving Private Ryan, and they're running around with the what was that an M60 or they're were they firing M50s? I don't I don't know if there's. Oh, I don't, was it were the they M- 50 cals? M41 back in 19 or in the World War Two era. I don't. Remember. Well, either way, like it take it took one guy to grab the gun other guy to grab the box of ammunition and you had also to think about that you had to put it on its foundation uh the little you know like uh, tripod that it would be on so i mean at minimum two guys but really three just to fire yeah. one gun and rambo's just like nah i'm a whole army in one man yeah normally it's yeah normally it's considered a three-person cruiser weapon so uh matt uh now when you used to fire the m60 with one arm it was a pretty good workout, right? Yeah, back in the day. I can't do it anymore, but, you know, back in my yeah. uh, Schwarzenegger days. There's pictures of Matt in the past, and let me tell you, it's amazing how much he was into physical fitness. Shredded. Okay, now, this this is where the film really goes off the, the rails, and I, and I love it because it saves it all for the end. Rambo goes into town and blows up a gas station, shoots shoots out most of the town's power and destroys the gun store near the police station. Teasel then goes on a one-man mission to kill Rambo. Who the fuck you kidding? You ain't doing that. Come on, Brian Dennehy. He has, uh, you know, exhausted all of his, I guess, posse or whatever. Um, and yeah, is going to go on a one-man mission thinking that like schlubby old Brian Dennehy is like, you know, the same amount of man that Rambo is. <laughs> Honestly, Brian Dennehy's just like all voice, you know, he's got that like bravado. Yeah. But you look at him compared to Stallone and you're like, ah, come on. Like, and not only that, not only does Stallone have the body and the physical physique and everything like that, he has the tactics. He knows how to use everything around him. To defeat him. I mean, if you put Brian Dennehy in a room with a Colt 45, 
five feet in front of him, and you put Rambo on the other side of the room with a pencil, a number two pencil sharpened, Rambo wins. That's how good this man is. I'll reduce your fraction. You put the two of them in a room together, <laughs> period. I don't think that uh, Denny, he stands a chance. <laughs> yeah, Rambo just flicks some sweat and oil into his eyes. Denny, he goes oh, down God, and Rambo yeah, kicks him all... to death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's anyone, done. Anyone of us would not stand a chance. Yeah, especially Brian Denny, 1982. Uh, love it. Okay, last paragraph. And then we go on to finish this. Rambo, Spots, Teasel. It always, God, I keep fucking up his name, don't I? No, I think you got it right this time. It's Teasel, okay. Rambo, Spots, Teasel on the police station's roof, and they engage in a brief gunfight, ending with Teasel being shot and falling through a skylight. As Rambo prepares to kill him, Trotman appears and warns Rambo that he will be killed if he does not surrender, reminding him he is the last survivor of his elite unit of Green Berets. Rambo collapses in tears and talks about his traumatic experiences watching his friends die in Vietnam, not being able to hold a job due to his condition, cruel treatment by his fellow Americans when he got home, and being forgotten by the country he sacrificed so much for. Teasel is transported to a hospital while Rambo surrenders to Trotman after being confronted and validated. Roll credits. And you know what? Before we even roll the credits, let's play that clip. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! It wasn't my war! You asked me, I didn't ask you! And I did what I had to do to win, but somebody wouldn't let us win! And I come back to the world, and I see all those maggots at the airport, protesting me, spitting, calling me baby killer and all kinds of vile crap! Who are they that protest me, huh? Who are they? Unless they've been me and been there and know what the hell they're yelling about. It was a bad time for everyone, Rambo. It's all in the past now. For you! For me, civilian life is nothing. In the field, we had a code of honor. You watch my back, I watch yours. Back here, there's nothing. You're the last of an elite group. Don't end it like this. Back there, I can fly a gunship. I can drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a job. Fucking guys! Ah! Okay. Just oh god. Where is everybody? God, I can't. I I had a friend. Was the Air Force. I had all these guys, man. Back there, I had all these fighting guys. Who were my friends? Because back here, there's nothing. Remember the Air Force? What is black headband? I took one of those magic markers and I said it found and mailed us to Las Vegas because we're always talking about Vegas and this fucking car. This is a red 58 Chevy convertible. He's talking about this car. He said we're going to cruise till the tires fall off. I think, and I think Brad and I text about this, I think this entire monologue right here is what made this movie legendary in Vietnam veterans' eyes. Yeah, and I have I normally would have a bunch of snarky remarks to fill up the end of this movie, but I don't have any at this point. I'll have plenty for the next movie, but I, I don't. I mean, this is nothing to be... There's nothing funny about this. I mean, to me, this whole movie was a tragedy of hubris. I mean, basically a trope as old as writing, as old as storytelling itself, really. You look at like the stats we have for our American veterans now, 40 years later, like every 
bad statistic that you can measure. Like we're we're higher at we unemployment, homelessness, suicide, divorce, uh, alcoholism, drug use. I mean, we're all higher. We're always higher. And uh, yeah, nothing funny to say here. Yeah, the end here. I mean, he just it ties it all together. You know, I think this is your thesis statement for what this movie's trying to say. Yeah, you get it wrapped up in a in a nice little action movie package, but it is a movie that has something to say about uh, the treatment of vets uh, post Vietnam and things like that. And I do think that this scene, you know, really well acted by Stallone and really well written and everything like that feels genuine. And like it does, it's your it's your thesis, it's your thing that ties the whole thing together. It's the thing that carries the weight of the movie. It's 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 your exclamation point, if you will, at the end of you know what this movie is. And like I said, you get it in a package where it's a nice fun little action movie but it's it's got more going on than that and this is what this is what it is yeah this whole scene right here honestly made me mad at stallone because i realized that like i've wanted more out of stallone for a long time because he has it in him i mean the man can actually really really act and i i know he's he's you know he had the rocky he had rocky and there's a lot of other films that I really enjoy of him. But I feel like Stallone always left more on the table sometimes. Because he just, he was so good at what he did when it came to making money. And I don't know if this makes sense to you guys, but I always get kind of like irritated when I watch a scene like this. I'm like, damn, dude, you you could have you could have done that, you know, a couple Oscar could have gone for the Oscar a couple times. But, you know, you chose money, and that's fine, honestly, because you you entertained me, and that's great and all that. But I feel like... I can promise you things are a lot better now than they were 40 years ago for people coming back from overseas, so... Yes, yes. But at the same time, like you said, it's been, you know, 40 years... And we still have a lot of the same problems with vets coming back over with post-traumatic stress disorder and homelessness and alcoholism. They're just not getting the help, the, you know, the help. Their brains are, are messed up. I mean, to, to put it as simple, their brains be fucked up and they need fixed. Yeah, and they're just sort of uh, like Rambo saying, just sort of swept, swept away. You know, thanks for your service. You're, we're done with you now, you know, like in Rambo's really talking about that at the end and the weight of it. And I, I agree with you. I would I wish we could have seen some more of this out of Stallone throughout the rest of his career. I think, I think in the Creed movies, he kind of does bring it back. He feels like he is like acting again, but it, you know, it was easy for him to just kind of fall into like the action hero role and don't get me wrong. Demolition Man is one of my favorite movies of all time, but like, and I love it, but I would have liked to have seen him do more stuff like this too. Me too. Yeah. Oh, well, well, luckily if we get a less serious movie coming up in the, for the subsequent <laughs> editions of this franchise. Yes, I can tell all the listeners it gets a lot lighter. <laughs> Guess what? So I think they, one thing they were thinking about was like, what if we could have Rambo? take the gloves off, you know, in the woods, doing his thing against someone that's really acceptable to like do this violence against. Like what group of people was acceptable to do that violence against back in 19, mid 1980s? 
Hmm. Let me think here. Let me think who that might be. Australians? No. I don't know no. who that might be. It might be the communists. Maybe the uh, maybe the okay. communists. The Russians. Yeah. I was way off because my next guess was the Netherlands. Shit. The Netherlands. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I'm not good at these guessing games. I'm just I'm like Matt trying to guess. I'm just like Matt trying to guess the box office. It's <laughs> just not very good. Uh, that's not true, Matt. You'll get better. Uh, you know. <laughs> there's, already too, there's already too much other shit floating around in my head i don't know if i have it in me uh, right. but i will keep trying all right perfect segue to move on to the museum this is the second time i've had to reclaim my property from you that belongs in a museum so do you this is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. Our Rambo wing of the museum, the first one. So this is where all the guests are first walking in, guys. They're getting hit with the first things that we put in for the Rambo wing. Brad, you're the guest. Go first. When Trapman says, God didn't make Rambo, I made him. <laughs> we just have a giant, to the left, there's a giant... <laughs> picture of him with that quote <laughs> that bubble above his head i like it he gets the biggest picture because he got all the best slides <laughs> now i think there's just gonna be a wall just with a list of them from one through three of just all the one-liners that he has it's a whole floor to ceiling wall don't worry but <laughs> it's just every one-liner uh that Troutman has throughout the series all right i wrote down a few so matt i'm gonna let you go second just in case you you know, I don't want to take one of yours. You know, uh, for this one, I think like it's it's a little bit of a stretch or whatever, but I think I'm just going to put Rambo the man in the wing for this one because without sort of Stallone's performance in this and this character, we wouldn't have had a franchise and the franchise definitely takes a different turn, but it, with this weight or whatever, he makes a fully fleshed out 3d character here that then eventually can sort of play in a sandbox than the rest of the franchise. So I think Rambo within the first blood uh, movie, should be represented here because without him and the Stallone's performance, we would not have gotten the rest of the series, which just gets wilder and wilder. Yeah, I like it. You put something well in there. Yeah, well you, said. Yeah, yeah, you were thoughtful and everything like that. So I'm going to go ridiculous and I'm just going to put in the knife, baby. Oh, man. So many kids I know wanted that knife and wanted to know what was inside the knife, you know, like where it takes off the little uh, compass like, what's in there? What do you got in there? It's a mystery. Uh, but that knife became pretty damn iconic when it came to super nerds of the 80s. And actually, even probably it got past the super nerds. Yeah, I mean, it, can't, and it also led into the 90s because I had the toy at this. Absolutely. I think the in, in the 90s, probably because we were starting to go in that direction of like, let's Let's not make toys look like weapons. Um, <laughs> duh. Um, but uh, um, I, I think it was green. So I had the little the Rambo knife toy that was green. And yeah, the bottom unscrewed and had the little compass at the end. And I would put my other tiny little action figures in there and stuff like that and walk around and pretend I was Rambo. I mean, I was shredded then. So that's yeah. uh, I look the part. But uh, 
it with my plastic green knife. So it's a good it's a good thing to put in the museum. It's iconic <laughs> for this movie. It's funny because it's the exact same day that I text you a picture of the Nerf gun that they're coming out with that is the replica of the gun in Aliens. Yeah, hilarious. So if I was eight years old, I would have had that. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Look that up, listeners. That that gun. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just like special, you know, like they're not putting it in stores or anything like that. So basically, it's just for 30, 40 year old men to buy. <laughs> yeah, and which then is like exactly who's going to buy it. 400 times what it's really worth. But. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like if I bought it, I'd be like, it's for my boy, not for me. I would no, I would never buy a Nerf gun like that. You have an excuse now to uh, buy all these oh, childish, oh, nerdy things. If, if you guys feel any better, like my four-year-old, we got my daughter is like now scared of Darth Vader. So um, nice. We were at a parade, and we had like the Imperial Regiment from the Omaha chapter marching through the parade, and there's Darth Vader character, and she just went and hid like behind a tree. So oh, she knows no. she knows to get away from dudes like that. So. I guess that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, run away from Darth Vader. I mean, he's a bad dude. We've all seen him. He's also really cool. So part of me is just like, oh, <laughs> uh, all right. That'll end our first Rambo review. It was pretty intense. It's uh, you know, it's a deep film, but uh, it's going to get lighter, folks. Trust me. So <sighs> that's really all I got to say. Yeah. Any final words? We're going to be talking about the Academy Awards that were listed out in 1987, was it? When Rambo 2 came out? No, Rambo 2 came out in 85. 85, it's okay. Yeah, I got like I got a beef against Out of Africa winning every fucking award that year. I've never even seen that movie. Yeah, yeah you and everyone else. Ugh. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of past Oscar winners that I just... I, fuck the Oscars. I mean, honestly. Like how the fuck did Frank Stallone not win a goddamn Oscar for this goddamn soundtrack in Rambo 2? I mean, he is the greatest musician of all time. I mean, some have said. Just some. Some, have said. some think some people think that way. But yeah. And we, we zoom out and uh, Steve is wearing his Frank Stallone shirt currently <laughs> as we're speaking. No! No! no what? <laughs> What? Is your microphone being cut off? What's wrong? We can't hear you, Matt. I think that's a perfect time to say, remember to be kind. Rewind.